Grab your Bibles. Turn to Joshua chapter 1. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. I don't know about you, but I was very encouraged this past week to hear the good news from the young men that went to Kalahari and the older men who went to West. Ladies, it's your turn tonight. The East, praying for great things for y'all. Have you ever thought about being a millionaire? <laughs> That's what I expected from you, Roger. I expect that actually from everybody because, you know, we just had this whole Powerball thing going on here a few weeks ago. And I know everybody probably in this room was probably thinking about what it would be like to be a millionaire. What if I won? And actually that would have been a billionaire, right? But as a millionaire, I mean, you think about that. And, and it's funny because... I know a lot of people who don't buy lottery tickets were probably buying lottery tickets that week. And they're like, I've never done this before, but I'm going to do it. And, and here's the thing. Just ask anybody that bought one. Because this is probably the next phrase that came out of their mouth. I never buy them, but if I win, I told God, right? That's the next thing that came out. That I would give, you know, fill in the blank, because everybody's doing this. And do you think God was up in heaven going, Oh, i got to weigh this all out now. Okay, so if he wins, he said he'd give that. And if she wins, she said she'd give that. And i got to weigh this all So uh, I'm probably going to let that person win because they said they'd give more to me, right? As if we can manipulate God, right? But, I, you know, it's sort of fun to think about that. But in the end, there's a lot of people, probably every one of us have probably sat there before and said, what it would it be like to be a millionaire? Hmm. We think about how we would spend that money, right? Well, here's, here's the truth. In the end, millions lost. Millions of people lost. That's the way it was. And we're reading about a story right now in Joshua chapter 1 where millions of people won. They won. It wasn't the Powerball, but it was so much better. It was big. Joshua chapter 1. Are you there with me? Joshua chapter 1. We, we've started this series. As we go through it, we're going to just pick out different things to talk about. But as we read last week and the last two weeks, over a million people enslaved in Egypt, God freed them. They walked on the dry riverbed of the Jordan River. They walked across to new land. They witnessed the incredible, awesome power of God. And God says, I'm with you. Remember, this is basically the main message that God is saying that we talked about the last week is God says, I'm with you. And I fight for you. That's what we've heard the last two weeks. God's not absent. He's not on vacation. He's here. He's with us. They pulled stones out of the river. Some of you grabbed stones. You wrote things on them. They pull those stones out of the river to remind them that God's great power and presence is in their lives. Joshua 3, verse 10, God said this, By this crossing you shall know that the living God is among you. And as you have your stones at home, nothing huge like symbolic about them or magical. It's just a reminder. By the stone, you know that God is living among you. The stones helped also retell the children. How do we tell our children about God's power? You retell your God stories to them. That's how. The incredible things that God's doing in your life, 
tell your children. And then they can tell their children. And when that doesn't happen, we discover in Old Testament a lot of nations fell apart because they stopped doing that, right? Are you looking at the evidence for today that God loves you, that God is with you, that God sides with you, and that he fights for you? The Israelites looked at their memorial, and they saw that. And they also said these stones, this memorial, will also tell people who don't know about God that there is a God and that he is alive. You're able to take your God stories and take it to work, take it to your family, people who don't know Jesus Christ, and share that. And they are able to then step back and say, wow, you worship a God who is alive. But not only did we talk about God being with us, but God fights for us. And last week I asked you, what enemies are you facing? What enemies are you facing? What opposition comes against you? Greed? Envy? Dishonesty? Anger? What is it? Is it an addiction? See, we serve an undefeated God who says, I'll fight for you. And whatever you're fighting right now, I will fight it for you. Step out of your spiritual foxholes. Quit hiding, right? He said, chapter 1, no one will be able to stand against us as long as you live, God. What a tremendous proclamation Joshua can make. Nobody can stand against me as long as God is alive, and God is alive. Turn to Joshua chapter 1. Here's where we find the compelling words that inspired and encouraged Joshua to lead. God's with us. God fights for us. God gives to us. God breathes into us. And today, Joshua 1.1 says this. Everybody there? Joshua 1.1. Let's read this. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. And he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. What a great way to start a book. Isn't it? After the death of Moses. Ah, bring that up, right? Okay, well, maybe not. It's, maybe it's not a statement uh, to unsettle you. Maybe it's about a timeline, so we can say, okay, so when was this written? Okay, after Moses passed away. Oh, okay, so that takes us back to when, B.C.? Start thinking back then. But verse 2, God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Okay, thanks, God. That's twice you've had to tell me this in just a couple sentences. Thank you for reminding me again that the greatest leader we ever followed is gone. I mean, there's nobody like Moses. Do me a favor, this is so hard for us because when we think of Moses, we think of Charles Heston, right? Or if you've watched the recent movie of the Ten Commandments, which I'm going to tell you right now, don't, okay? Um, you're going to see a Moses in that movie who's portrayed as being a very, sort of a combination of a very godless man, unsure of himself and unsure of God, and, and also a very arrogant man, a warrior um, that didn't really want to be like God. I'm trying to figure out how they got that out of Genesis and put that into Hollywood, but it's Hollywood, right? But as we read scriptures, we know that out of millions, Moses was the one who was chosen to leave the enslaved out. He's the one that was picked by God. And what he represented was almost like a president, Abraham Lincoln, to the enslaved. And he wasn't just a presidential figure. He was a hero. Think about this. Moses confronted Pharaoh. 
who in their right mind would be bold enough to step in front of Pharaoh and confront him. And when the Red Sea pinned them for easy pickings against the Egyptians, it was Moses who raised the staff and prayed to God. And the walls of the Red Sea opened up and they walked through on dry ground. He was a hero, a leader, a man of God, meant more to people than we could ever understand. And how does chapter 1, verse 1 start out? And Moses is dead. Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, you're in charge. Oh, and Moses is dead. Thank you. But consider the grief and the fear and the feelings of dismay that maybe Joshua was feeling. But before we can stop wiping the tears that Moses is dead, before we can start cleaning up from the funeral meal afterwards, God's already saying, rise up. But, but God, I'm not done mourning yet. No, rise up. Did you see what it said? Moses, my servant, is dead. Let's read this. Now, therefore, arise. Let me hear you say arise. Look at the person next to you. Give him a high five. Say arise. Some of you got left hanging. You're like, they turned the other way and gave the other person five. Okay. So go ahead. Do it one more time. Make sure you hit people on both sides. You're ready to go. Say arise. Give him a high five. Why would we do that? Because for the same reason. You were all sitting here looking like you were at a funeral. God said, arise. Arise, yeah. You know, you're ready to go. Can you imagine that? God's looking at you and talking to you, and you're having this conversation, and says, Moses is dead. Okay, maybe it wasn't a deep voice. I don't know what it was. But it's that voice that comes from heaven and says, Moses is dead, Moses is dead. Arise. Therefore, go. But I'm not done mourning yet. I, I'd really like to get into this bereavement group. And, and, and well, there's, I think I'm going to pick up a therapist. I maybe need a retreat, sort of get away with myself and, and just reorganize my life. And it's, it's been rough losing Moses. And, and, I, and I really, you know, need some me time, God. God's like, rise up. I want you to figuratively, physically, actually, stand up, Moses or Joshua. I want you to rise up because what you're going to do in rising up right now in front of me is the same thing you as a nation are going to do to all these other nations. You're going to rise up. Now, what did we learn the last two weeks? God's with us. God fights for us, right? Let's say this together. We're going to say it together. God is with us. God fights for us. Here we go. God is with us. God fights for us. Now with an exclamation point behind each. Here we go. God is with us. God fights for us. Yes, I mean, that's what we're learning, right? Let me ask you something. Did that change when Pastor Dan Van Dock left? Did we, did we stop? No. Does that change if Pastor Ben leaves? No. Does that change if somebody, a member of our church is like, well, I'm not going to go to church anymore, or something's changed in my life, I'm not going to come to this church. Does that change when somebody leaves our church? No. God is still with us. And God still fights for us, no matter who is showing up and who is not showing up. No matter who comes, no matter who leaves. You know, Moses may be gone. Moses is gone. But you know what? God is still alive. And God still fights for us. So rise up. Of course, Joshua, I mean, he's getting over the grief of losing his mentor and his friend. And he sizes up the river and sizes up the situation. He sizes up the people. Moses is all about sizing up, and God's all about rising up. 
know what I'm saying? We all, we're really good at sizing up things, and God says it's time to rise up. So God wants to rise up and take two million people to a new land, a new territory, a new stage of life. I don't know if you've ever had to make a decision before where you're like, you know, I, I need to put down the pros and cons. You ever done that before? Major decision, maybe it's a minor decision. And you're like, I'm going to write the pros and cons and sort of put down as to which is the good and the bad, the positive, negative, and this will help me make my decision. So maybe, maybe Joshua says, I'm going to put down my pros and cons. All right, let's start with the cons. Let's start with the negative. It's easy to be negative. Okay, so here we go. Number one. Moses is dead. That was easy. That's my first negative, my first con. Okay, here's the second one. I have over 2 million people. That's about the same size as Houston. Not sure where Houston is, but people reading this 4,000 years from now, they will know what Houston is and they will relate to me. Right? 2 million people. Oh, wow. 2 million inexperienced people. They've never been this way before. I've never been this way before inexperience. Oh, wait, we've, we've fought windstorms. We've fought snakes. We've fought all kinds of wildlife. But fortified cities and walls of Jericho, never done that before either. Oh, iron-wheeled chariots and spears, warriors, never done that before. Enemies we'll never face, right? In the book of Genesis, chapter 15, it says this, the Lord said to Abram, Let's rewind hundreds of years. You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they'll be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. Oh, that happened. But I'll punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end, they'll come away with great wealth. That happened. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land for the sins of the Amorites do not warrant their destruction. We go back and Joshua maybe remembers this, maybe not, what God said to Abram about the land that was promised to him and the Amorites who were the people that were going to dwell there in that promised land and how evil they were. Oh, yeah, Amorites. Evil, vile people. They sacrificed babies in worship. They practiced orgies in the city and dedicated themselves to witchcraft and idolatry. They were gross. They were vile. They didn't care what they did in public. Scholar Eugene Peterson said in this book, it was a snake pit of child sacrifice and sacred prostitution, ruthlessly devoted to using the most innocent and vulnerable members of the community, babies and virgins, to manipulate God or gods for gain. It doesn't sound too far off from the culture we live in right now. We just disguise those words. So there's a lot of cons going on here for Joshua as he's writing this down. Oh, negative, negative. And there's a good list of reasons to stay seated and not rise up. Because I'm looking at this list, and it can be overwhelming, right? But before Joshua could get his list around, and before he could actually get his little scroll and ink, or before he could, uh, boop, hey, Siri, dictate something for me. Before he could do any of that, God continues his declaration and his command to Joshua Read with me. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all the people, all two million plus, into the land I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Here's the deal. God already paid for the land. God already purchased the land. 
The land belongs to God. And Joshua wasn't going in just to take the land. He was going in to receive the land that God already purchased. Victory was certain because God already won. Last night, if you went to, we'll just give this a quick example, if you went to the Wauseon basketball game, they are playing Springfield. It was a very athletic, competitive game. Wauseon was losing 10-0 to in the first couple minutes. You know, you could have looked at that and said, wow, I might as well go ahead and pack it up and leave at halftime, right? But for those that stayed around, you got to go into overtime. And then second overtime. And then you got to watch a very close game come to an end and Wauseon won. And you, and you walked out of that gym and it was, everybody was saying in between the two overtimes, win or lose, this has been incredible. Why would you want to leave? But here's the thing. Sometimes we already decide who's won, who's lost. And because we sometimes we think we've already lost, we don't participate. We walk out. We're probably not going to win. I do it all the time. Just ask Jenny. Watching a game on TV. I, you, come on. Turn off the TV, walk. They're going to lose. Wake up the next morning. They won? Really? Do it all the time. But let me ask you something. What if you knew you already won? Would you stick around? Would you play different if you're a competitor? I bet you would. Can you imagine walking into Best Buy? You look at all the electronics. Big screens, TVs, gaming systems, headphones, smartphones, all kinds of phones, right? You'd love to purchase a new entertainment system for your home. But you don't think you can afford it. Sort of think about how much you own in your savings. Look in your checkbook now. You look at all the multiple setups, the choice of units, and you are overwhelmed. And then one of those know-it-all guys, you know, with little name tags on, comes walking up, and he starts speaking a different language to you, right? He starts telling you about all the units that are out there, and this connection will go with that connection. Really, you need to buy this thing now, because if you're going to have a, a stereo system, you need a receiver, because the receiver's going to bring in the inputs from the outputs, and, blah, 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 and you're just sitting there going, wah, 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 and you're like, okay, you're right. And all you're seeing is ching 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 as the money starts getting bigger, right? I don't know about you, okay, but that happened to me. I don't know what you would have done, but here's what I did as my head was spinning. I walked out of there, and I, and I drove away. Um, I didn't feel right spending the money. I wasn't sure what I really needed to purchase, and if I really could afford what I was going to purchase. I, I was intimidated by lack of knowledge for what I needed to have, and I, and I felt lacking in resources to be able to fund it. So I walked away. Now, in that same situation, if that would have been Joshua, and that was the promised land, here's how it all goes down. Joshua walks into Best Buy. As he walks into Best Buy, all the workers see Joshua, and they're like, Joshua's in the house. Okay, gotcha. Okay, gotcha. They're taking off their Bluetooths. They're taking off their name tags. They're putting them on the counter, and they're walking out the back door. They're turning in their keys and their codes, and they're gone. And you're looking, and everybody that works there just leaves out the back door as quick as they can. And you look, and then the CEO, the big guy that owns Best Buy, not the store manager, the CEO, comes walking in for Best Buy, and he walks up, 
and he hands over you the keys to the franchise. And he says, this is yours. This, this is yours. And he bows down and says, thank you for not doing anything else to me, for letting me leave quietly, right? There you go. And boom, he's out the back door. And you're standing there now thinking, this is all mine? Keys? Some of you are like, oh, yeah. I know what I'm doing right now to my house with all this, right? Now, let, me, let me explain something to you. That is your house. See, your first thought might have been, so what can I take from that place that now belongs to me and take it back to my house? No, no, no. That is your house. That's your possession. That's what's happening to Joshua in the promised land. He's ready to walk in the promised land because what did God say? I'm, I'm giving you this. I own it. You just got to receive it. You just got to receive it. It's already yours. Look at Joshua, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on the land I've given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates rivers in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. See, the word inheritance is found in the book of Joshua 49 times. It's yours. It's yours. You've inherited us. It's yours. The command, go possess the land, is five times in the book of Joshua. Would you go take this land? Go take this land. Because it's yours. It's yours. These people belong to God. God wanted to give them a new land. He wanted to give them an inheritance and, more importantly, a new life. Now, let's stop for a moment. Let's consider your life. We believe that God is with us. Amen? We believe that for every Jericho, every fortress that we face, every obstacle that comes before us, we believe that God is with us. And because he has shown himself like he did in the Jordan we believe that God's going to be with us in the Jerichos of life. We believe that God fights for us, that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come and to fight sin and fight death and fight hell and fight Satan so that we could have eternal life. God fights for us. And if you believe all that and if you've confessed with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and your Savior, then listen carefully to what I'm going to say. God has given you a new life, and he's given you possession of a new life. It's already yours. You don't have to earn it. He's given you inheritance. Dan's going to put a list of verses on the screen. You can write down these and go back and maybe write them out for yourself sometime. I'll read them to you. But Ephesians chapter 1, 3 says this. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Think right now in your mind. What spiritual blessing could I have from God? You already have it. God, could you give me? You already got it. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Why? Because, listen to this, because we're united with Christ. Because you've confessed with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord, you've got it. You know, said Paul didn't say he will or he might. 
It sounds like me when the boys come asking, hey, Dad, uh, we need a new basketball. The panels are falling off. It's stretching. It's, it's about ready to blow up because it's just old. Okay? Do you think we can get a new basketball? Oh, yeah, I think we might be able to get one. Yeah, we, we can probably do that later. Yeah. That's the way we function. God, you know, if that's us coming to God, hey, God, do you think there's already one in your bedroom? Oh, oh you already have it. I already own it? Yeah. Oh, okay. You already got it. See, we already have everything we need to be everything God desires. Let me say that again. We already have everything we need to be everything that God desires. What do you think God desires of you? You already have it and the ability to possess that, to be that. We have access to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And when we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins, God, forgive me for this sin and for that sin. You know what? He did more than just clean you up. When I was seven years old, I'm kneeling at my bed, praying and asking God to forgive me for being mean to my brothers. He did more than just clean me up. When I was in eighth grade, I was trying to figure out how can I love God who I can't see, touch, feel. I mean, how do you put your arms around that, right? And I had to start confessing my lack of belief, and, and God already gave me everything I needed. He didn't just clean me up. He filled me up. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is new. Let me hear you say new. He's new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 2 Peter 1.3 says this, By his divine power, you're going to want to look this one up later and do some underlining. By his divine power, God has given. Think about this. God has given. He's already done. God's given. It's the next word. Us. This is the next phrase. Everything we need. For what? For living a godly life. But God, in order for me to live a godly life, I've already given to you. I'm already equipped. You already got it. Everything we need, people, to live a godly life, God has already given it to you. Every, everything. Can I read that again? By his divine power, not by my works, not by my wishes and hopes, not by my good deeds, but by his divine power, God has given us everything we need to live godly lives. We've received all this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of a marvelous and glory and excellence. Joshua learned a lesson. Same lesson we're trying to learn today. Same lesson I'm trying to share with you today. We don't need to fight for victory. We fight from victory. You hear me, church? We don't need to go out there and fight for victory. I hope I can win. I hope I can win. You've already won. Fight from that. Fight from a victorious attitude. I don't know if you read your birth certificate when you became a Christian. Did anybody read that? How many of you have gone back and read your own birth certificates? Yeah, I mean, the only time you probably pull them out is like, well, I need a passport to go out of the country, so I better pick up my passport and make sure I am from this country, whatever country I'm from, right? I need to leave this nation. I need proof that I'm a citizen, right? I want you all to pull out your spiritual birth certificate right now, okay? Everybody know where it is? It's like, nope. John chapter 1. Turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 12. You ever want to know where you stand in Jesus Christ? You want to know where you were born? You want to know? Somebody's like, well, I might be going somewhere. I need to know where I'm from. 
Let me tell you something. You're going to face something big tomorrow. You better know where you came from. Here's your spiritual birth certificate. John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. That's your spiritual birth certificate. You want to know that you're a child of God? Do you believe him? Have you accepted him? You have the right to be called a child of God. That's your birth certificate. Print it out. Put it on your wall. Ephesians 1.11 says this. As a child of God, your Abba Father says this. Furthermore, because we're united with Christ, we've received an inheritance from God. Did you know that? You all knew that, right? Keep reading the from your spiritual birth certificate. Romans 8, 16 to 17 says this, For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we're heirs in God's glory. But if we share in his glory, we also share in his suffering, right? We share the same inheritance of Jesus Christ. Do you ever think about that? No, we can't. Because it's Jesus, and we're so much Lord. We worship him. He's God. There's no way. Can you please read the scripture? We share an inheritance with Jesus Christ. Let that sink in. Bottom line is, we don't get leftovers. Some of you might be going home today having leftovers. Not in heaven. Spiritually speaking, not now. In Paul's day, the firstborn son received a double portion, and the rest of the inheritance was divvied up among all the other siblings. That's the way it worked. That's the way it went down. Not with Christ. Christ's portion is our portion. A year ago, Mom shared with us, she, um, this is before Dad passed away, they were talking about they need a new roof, and they said, well, we need to fix the roof and need some new shingles and so forth and so on. We said, you know what, Mom? Let's get the brothers around. We can do this. We can get up there, rip off the old shingles, throw some new stuff down. We can do this. We can handle this. Okay couple weeks passed, month passed. Like, man, Mom never called us to do this. So we checked in. Mom, Dad, what are you guys doing with the roof? He goes, oh, we, we decided to hire somebody else to do it. Well, why don't you hire us? Oh, we figured you guys are too busy. It's okay. We just used some of your inheritance money to do it. It's all good. I was like, what? We get an inheritance? I didn't know we got an inheritance. It's like, first of all, okay, you spent my money on, on well, it's your money, Mom, Dad. Why are you, it's like, it's, we're giving some of your inheritance away. First of all, I didn't care about that, but, you know, I was like, I was just sort of bummed we didn't get to do the job, you know. But she's like, I sort of thought that went through. It's like, man, I, I thought inheritances were for rich people, right? I don't look at myself as being rich. I don't look at my family as being rich. I thought only rich people got inheritance. My mom and dad had inheritance for us. Had being the key word. It's, it's on the roof now, so. If I wanted my inheritance, I can go get my shingles, right? See, when dad passed away, I mean, two days later, mom's like getting all his clothes out. And she said, go pick what you want. It's like, oh, there's my inheritance. Socks and underwear. I'll go with the hat and t-shirt instead, right? It's like, that's family. You know what my inheritance is for my family? It wasn't socks and underwear. It wasn't a toy tractor that I had to remind myself of dad. It wasn't his collection of pocket knives. You know what my inheritance is from my father? 
my faith. The most precious, priceless thing my dad and mom could ever hand down to me is my faith in Jesus Christ. Now, children that are in here, this whole inheritance thing, the best thing you'll ever get from your parents is your belief in Jesus Christ. Will not fade away. So why do we struggle through life? If our inheritance is peace, why are we so stressed out? If we got all these spiritual blessings, why do we feel so weak? Maybe it's because nobody's ever shared the truth with us. Maybe nobody ever told us that this land has already been conquered for you. Maybe no one's ever told us to fight from victory, not fight for victory. Maybe it's because we just don't believe the truth. Be careful, 40 years ago, or 40 years prior to Joshua going to the edge of the promised land, 40 years before that, the people didn't believe that that was their land. Really? That's my inheritance? I get to have that? I don't believe it. Just got to walk across. I really don't believe it. You can go wander for 40 years. See, when you don't believe what God's given you, he's going to let you believe what you want to believe. He's not going to twist your arm until you say, you're right, I'm rich, I'm rich. Okay, God, I got it. He's not going to do that. If you're going to say, I don't believe that God's given me all this, he's going to say, okay, I'll let you believe that. And you will wander in spiritual darkness and depression and misunderstandings, and you're not going to understand what just happened. As a child of God, here's truth. Children of God, according to John chapter 1, verse 12, here's the truth. Is it hard to forgive others? Here's the thing. God can, and he's given you the ability to do the same. Are you having a hard time breaking a sin habit? God can, and he's given you the ability to do the same. Having a hard time controlling your tongue? God can, and he's given you the ability to control your tongue. Having impure thoughts? can't control these thoughts, guess what? God can. And he'll give you the ability to control those thoughts. You having a hard time loving others? God can. And he'll give you that ability to love others. I was sitting at a restaurant recently and I was having a meeting with this, he's getting about his 20, he's probably 20. And as we're sitting there having breakfast, talking, this elderly gentleman, he's probably 82, 83, comes walking in comes walking over and looks at the guy across from me and says hi to both of us, looks at him, and, and he noticed that this young man that I'm sitting with, he actually had a lottery ticket out that he had just played that morning before we ate for breakfast. And he said, did you win? No, I didn't win. Oh, well, it's Friday, you know. It's payday. Did you get your paycheck? You know you're rich. And um, this, this young man across from me looks at him and just smiles big and goes, I got my paycheck it was a Friday, and he did. And, um, and then I thought, you know what? These guys know each other. And then he says, why don't you ask this guy across from me if he's got his paycheck today? So that 80-something-year-old man looked at me, and he goes, did you get your paycheck today? As he's reaching into his wallet, pulls it out, and I'm going, oh, here it comes, right? And he pulls out a check, and he hands it to me. Dan, can we put that picture up on there? This is the check that he handed to me. He said, from the bank of heaven, and I love this, pay to whoever believes. 
Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but would have everlasting life. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Oh, the sum of eternal life. For who? Sin. It's been paid in full. Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he handed that check to me. And then I just looked at it. And I laughed. I said, this is awesome. This is great. Endorsed. Oh, by the way, on the back, you didn't see this. It's endorsed by the thief on the cross. And it's also endorsed by the woman who was caught in adultery. It was also endorsed by every converted drunkard and all sinners saved by grace. So how do I get to use this check? Instructions are right on the back. So I was like, all right, let's do this. Millionaire. One, admit that you're a sinner for all of sin. Bingo, I sin. Acknowledge you deserve punishment. Yeah, because here's the deal. Whenever you make a mistake, there's always a punishment, right? You make a bad choice, there's always a bad consequence. I deserve punishment. Number three, affirm the fact that Christ took your punishment on the cross. Christ died for me. He took my place. My punishment that I should have had, I should receive, he took it for me. So I affirm the fact that he did that for me. And number four, accept the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior. Call on him in your heart in prayer. Tell him you're doing this right now. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there's a little place for me to sign it. I thought this was, you know, it was, it was fun that he gave this to me. And I looked at him and I said, wow, thank you. I said, that's better than winning the lottery, huh? And I looked at my buddy who had this little lottery ticket. I go, that's better than winning the lottery, isn't it? And he goes, absolutely. Now I think about that. It's sort of nice to have that reminder. But you know what? God's been giving me that reminder for years. He's reminded all of us that as children of God, he's already given everything you need. So this morning, I want to encourage you. When you walk out of here, I want you to walk out of here like somebody just gave you a blank check. Like you just won the lottery because you won greater things. Next time you walk into a Best Buy or a big store, I want you to walk in like Joshua walked in. Don't actually take over, okay? But just sort of get that feeling like, you know, I walk into Kroger, I own this place. Don't pay for it before you buy it, okay? But sort of see what it'd be like. Think, man. And then think about this. It's true. God's already paid it for you. He's given you every spiritual blessing. You have the same inheritance as Christ. Church, take a look to your left, take a look to your right. You're looking at victorious rich people. Go ahead, look at them. He's given each of you everything you need to be victorious for him. You're rich in him. And that's worth celebrating. Worship team, would you come up here? We're going to celebrate in song. We're going to sing. And if you're here this morning, you're like, you know what, Rex, I would love to celebrate. I'd love to sing, but you know what? I am... I haven't. Go ahead and stand. I, I haven't. I haven't asked Christ to forgive me. You know what? Today's the day. Today's the day of salvation for you. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you deserve that punishment. Accept the fact that Christ took your place on the cross. Receive him. Understand what it means to have every spiritual blessing. God gives to us. So as Christians... Do me a favor. Let's walk around this next week with faces of victory, knowing that we are victorious in him. He's given us everything we need, every spiritual blessing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. 
I thank you, Lord, for giving us all that we need. God, thank you for being victorious in our lives and being with us. But God, thank you for giving us an inheritance that won't fade away. Nobody can rob us of what you've given us spiritually. The thief will try to come and steal and kill it and destroy us. But you've come to give us life and give it abundantly. So God, if we need to have a time on our knees to break us spiritually, to remind us, yeah, we've blown it, but then, Lord, pick us up. As you tell us to rise up. It's time for us to be victorious in you. As we pray for each other, as we love one another. Now, Lord, let us sing to you. In thy name we pray. Amen.